Welcome to this year's first episode of the Sweet Discernment Podcast. I'm your host, Sharian Sade. You may know me from my YouTube channel, Sharian Sade, or my Patreon, also the same name, or my musty Twitter or TikTok. Wherever you found me, I'm glad you found me here. Today, we will be talking about quite an interesting story that I found in Vogue. The title of the article that we will be dissecting today is by Michelle Ruiz, and the title is There's Still So Much More to Meghan Markle's Story. So let's get into it. once again for clicking on this episode of Sweet Discernment. I am so excited to rebrand this podcast to do something that I love, which is look at current events, royal news, and celebrity news with a discerning approach. If you are like myself and developed your sense of discernment and your skill of discernment later in life, then I'm happy to have you because we are on this journey together. If you are unlike myself and have not developed a sense of discernment at all, I'm very happy to have you. And I hope your growth and development journey is only enhanced by this podcast. And if you are unlike myself and you always had discernment, then please leave your comments and help us further along in our journey. (laughs) So I know that this podcast is in some way propelled by my YouTube, my Twitter, my TikTok, and my Patreon. And on those platforms, I mostly center royal news, particularly that of supporting Harry and Meghan. However, on this platform, while we are starting with a royal story with this podcast episode, There's Something About Meghan, I do want to brief you, no pun intended, (laughs) that this podcast and this platform will be a lot more diverse, but it will not stray from royal news. My goal is to consistently enhance the zeitgeist with more common sense, with more discernment, and with more honesty. In my journey to building my YouTube, I found more interest and I found more passion when covering stories about Harry and Meghan. At first it perplexed me because on paper, I don't have anything in common with them. I've never really been a royal watcher outside of Princess Diana and a little crush that I had on Harry. Don't judge me. Um, I know that's Meghan's man, but outside of those things, I couldn't really come up with why I was so drawn to not only their story, but their journey their plight, and their overcoming. Over time, their achievements felt like my achievements. Their hardship felt like my hardship, and their need for support felt like a call to action to me. I couldn't decipher why that was. Why am I identifying with this story? Why am I identifying with these people that I don't know? I am not a celebrity fanatic for anyone. As you know, I don't stand people. I recognize that people, although in the public eye, are still very much just that, people. So why the hell am I so into their journey? Well, as I continue to cover stories and encounters and experiences regarding the Sussexes, but the royal family at large, what I realized is that 
my urge to propel their story forward in a positive light was because I did hear that call to action because I root for the underdog. But more importantly than the underdog, I have a sense of doing good for everyone and propelling that of the voice of the person that is wronged. Any of us could have been at the helm of a full-scale attack on a global level from an impenetrable institution. But thankfully, we weren't. And although it could have been us, it wasn't us. And just because it wasn't us doesn't mean it's not our problem. And so as I continue to care to follow Harry and Megan, I continue to care more about them as people, as parents, as a couple, but as humans. They may have really cool jobs. They may be really passion led and get to do really cool things, especially with their platform. And they may make gobs of money. But outside of that, they're just people. And people always deserve to be treated humanely. And what I identified with in their story is the fact that they haven't been. They've been treated like zoo animals, but even worse, because zoo animals, you can't touch them. You can't abuse them. And that is not the boundary that was put around the Sussexes. You would think an institution like the royal family would be untouchable. Therefore, the people within that institution would be safe. And that is not what I observed as I continue to cover Harry and Meghan. And so while this podcast is not centered around just Harry and Meghan, we will pull in more topics to look at with a discerning eye and a common sense approach. It will continue to be a leg of my media space, which is supporting the Sussexes, but we will do other things here as well. So I'm excited to diversify kind of my media content, particularly with this podcast, because I'll get to talk about more things that are near and dear to me. But in addition to that, we will continue to support the Sussexes and anyone else we feel needs their voice elevated. No matter how big or small your platform, it is never a problem to add to the good that's going on in the world. We need more. So without further ado, I thought it would be fun to dissect this article that I found in Vogue. The title of this article is There's Still So Much More to Meghan Markle's Story, and it was written by Michelle Ruiz. I found this article particularly interesting because of the way it started off versus the way that it ended. So we're going to take a look at a few excerpts from the article, and then we're going to have a nice, sweet, discerning discussion. <laughs> so the article starts off last week on this very website. I questioned the necessity of Harry and Meghan. The six part Netflix documentary released on Thursday from documentarian Liz Garbus with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's full and candid participation. Why open themselves and their private camera roles to more scrutiny? risking overexposure and potentially diminishing their status. Why give more fuel to vociferous racist tabloids and trolls after already telling their story in last year's Oprah sit down and in Prince Harry's forthcoming memoir, Spare? After a three hour Netflix binge, consider me swayed. And not just because the docuseries is engrossing confessional television or because the early clandestine days of their love story are irresistibly endearing. Prince Harry promising to protect Meghan as elephants roamed outside their tent in Botswana became a meaningful vow as she continued to follow him into unfamiliar territory. 
or because I now know just because Oh, now, excuse me, or just because I now know just how married the couple is to call each other by their first initials. Why do this docu-series? Because Megan only scratched the surface with Oprah, and she's not the one writing a memoir yet. Because as Harry and Megan prove, there's still so much more of her story, so much nuance and complexity left to tell. I covered Meghan Nay Markle from the moment her relationship with Prince Harry went public in 2016. I've read the biographies, the ones the couple sanctioned behind the scenes and the ones they didn't. And I responded a bit arrogantly when Megan asked in the Netflix trailer, doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? After watching, I can say that actually, yes, it does. One of the most overwhelming and compelling reasons is that Megan delves deeper than ever before into her biracial identity and how it informed her rocky entry into and her exit from the British monarchy. Her story is supported with insights from, I gasped, her mother, Doria Ragland, who speaks publicly for the very first time. The sound of Ragland's voice is striking after years of only still photography, akin to hearing Kate Middleton's with the rareness of a solar eclipse. Pause, that's probably because Kate Middleton doesn't work. So we rarely hear from her. Allegedly. <laughs> Quote, people don't talk about what it's like to be mixed race, Megan says, explaining that she vis... Oh, <laughs> explaining that she vacillated between feeling not black or not white enough. So much of my self-identification was trying to figure out where I fit in. Markle files have surface level sense of this from past anecdotes. When Barbie family sets only came with black or white dolls, her father, Thomas Markle, crafted a bespoke version for young Megan with a black Barbie to represent Raglan and a white kin for himself. Later, when Megan anguished over which ethnicity box to tick from taking a seventh grade test, her father urged her to draw her own box. Wow, surprising insight from Thomas Markle. Eh, a clock is right twice a day. What's new is Megan conveying just how wally unprepared she was for the torrent of racist abuse she'd fueled as a royal wife. Not just because she was an American unaversed in the ways of the firm and the British tabloids, but because of her own tenuous connection to blackness. She remembers leaving a concert with Raglan at the, Ho at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, Raglan honking at a languishing car and the woman screaming the N-word back at her. Raglan white-knuckled the steering wheel and she was just silent the rest of the drive home, Megan recalls in a This Is Your Life style drive through LA and Harry and Megan. Quote, we never talked about it. So she, this article travels through some of the nuance that Megan shared in Harry and Megan, but I want to skip up to the conclusion because I think this is where um, the article really grasped me. For Megan, teetering between the racial identities of her divorced parents and trying to find her place in between them turned out to be practice. Her lifelong struggle to blend in was suddenly magnified when she found herself trying to fit in with one of the whitest, wealthiest families on the planet. In a striking glimpse into sartorial diplomacy, nice word, she shares that she favored muted cream and camel-colored clothes in order to appear inoffensive, to avoid standing out, and to fold into the firm as seamlessly as possible. Not to mention, Megan notes that wearing various hues of buttery beige seemed efficient because royal women were to avoid wearing the same color as the queen, who often wore bold Easter egg shades or royal women more senior to them. 
Quote, there's no version of me joining this family and trying not to do everything I could to fit in, Megan says. Given her life experience, I believe it. I found this article particularly endearing because as Michelle Ruiz began, she notes how flippant, if I can describe it as that, she was when she started the promos for Harry and Meghan the docuseries. And honestly, I recognize that tone with quite a few people. But as the docuseries first three episodes came out, I saw the tide change and I saw the moment kind of shift. I feel like the docuseries did exactly what it was intended to, to humanize Harry and Meghan. Because the bad side and the downside to publicity and celebrity and royal is the fact that we see these people mostly in still frames or short clips of video. We may or may not get an autograph, which is pretty frowned upon with the royal family. They prefer that they don't do selfies or autographs. But we may or may not get an autograph. We may or may not see them in a selfie, but we almost never see them in a candid moment. So when an institution that is so built up on image decides to take aim at one of its own and then close or turn off the mic to that one person so that they can't tell their own story. They are lacking any control in their life whatsoever. And so for a very well manicured image where we are not to see them as human, that could be deadly because now we've stripped them of their humanity. And so any story that comes out about them, we don't know whether or not to believe it because we don't know them. The fact that these images are so manicured, it takes away our opportunity to decipher what is and is not aligned with their image or who we know them to be because we don't know them to be anything outside of a plastic picture. And so I found Mich Michelle Ruiz's take on Megan so endearing, so necessary, but mostly honest. I'm glad that she was able to share her experience watching Harry and Megan. And I'm glad that she was able to appreciate Megan's plight because at first glance, Megan just seems to be a beautiful, gorgeous, successful, rich, intelligent, and lucky young woman. But that barely scratches the surface. And yes, although she is all those things, none of those things came without hard work. Everything Megan has is not something that we can attribute to luck outside of meeting a prince. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty lucky. But everything else is the result of very hard work. Everything else is the result of determination, self-reflection, and focus. Her body, yoga and Pilates. Good diet. <laughs> Her face, maintenance and self-care. Her intelligence, studying hard and working hard and her money working all the time. She worked very hard on her show, but she also worked for the UN. She also worked on Deal or No Deal. She also had multiple movies and projects, which I've covered on my YouTube and my Royal Review on Fridays. I have been covering episodes featuring Megan, but also movies that Megan starred in. For someone who's been working her whole life, studying her whole life, being focused her whole life, consistently, intentionally growing and developing as a person, but also nurturing her need to be a philanthropist, her need to give to people, her need to be a part of the service that she gives to others, her need to be 
an, a light in this world. I guess that's a great way to put it. Her need to feel like she's doing something. Those are things that I feel Harry and Meghan gave us a better view of because as the article states, the Meghan files would know this. Yeah, we do. We know just how much she's given. I have multiple videos about her philanthropy on my website, on my YouTube. But above all else, I'm just excited to see how the tide has turned to just simply stop bullying her. At no point have I ever been a proponent of standing someone because everyone can make a mistake. No one is perfect and everyone has ups and downs. I mean, that's a given. But what I've always found to be wally unfair is the fact that people found it okay to abuse her, period. Secondly, they found it okay to abuse her, not by something she actually did, just by hearsay. And if the institution that you align with encourages you to be abusive and harmful, do you think that's an institution that you should be aligning with? Does that align with your values? Because if it does, I would recommend that you commit your own time to self-development and improvement. But Megan's story isn't unique, actually. Aside from her becoming a royal, her story of being a biracial black woman in America, that story is pretty common. And the sad part is it's been pretty common for a very long time. People should be allowed to exist and shouldn't have to fit in a box. One of the things that I consistently protest against is the fact that so much information regarding your identity is needed when applying for employment or any other service. You don't need to know that I'm black to determine whether or not I should have this job. You don't need to know that I'm a woman to determine whether or not I should have this loan. You don't need to know any of these things to determine where and where I go in this world and how far I get. Yet you ask and it's legal to ask and it's legal to inquire. And it's so unnecessary. And in my opinion, it's actually quite dangerous because it's continuing to further the divide. Things like affirmative action wouldn't be happening and needed if there weren't racism already happening. So when people complain about affirmative action, I say, no, you're complaining about the remedy. You're not complaining about the problem. Affirmative action is a remedy. It's cough syrup to a very nasty cold. And I wouldn't even say it's a nasty cold because it's more like a cough syrup to a terminal illness. And so although Megan did not experience the full throttle experience of a black woman, that is something that she acknowledged. The power in her acknowledging that my experience would have been worse if colorism wasn't on my side was telling because people were upset with her, even people who benefited from her honesty. How do people benefit from that kind of honesty, you may ask? Well, because if people in the position to benefit from certain dividers or certain privileges can't speak about how that privilege in and of itself is wrong, then they're never going to listen to the person who's at the helm of it. So it's important for people who benefit from privileges to speak out about those privileges. It's important for people who are lighter skin and benefit from colorism to say colorism is wrong and we should continue to have full access no matter what we look like 
It's important for not only black people to rail against racism and people of color to rail against racism, but also white people. If you, it's not enough to be, to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. You have to be, you have to push against it. It has to upset you. It has to unfurl you. It has to not sit right with your core. If your value system makes room for passivity when it comes to racism, then you are aligned with racists. You might not have to commit actions, but if it's okay by you, then you are also propelling that thing forward. This is the time in America where having a hard stance is literally the only way to be. There is no middle ground because things are more polarizing than they ever have been. If we're ever gonna get forward, we have to make the choice to be anti the things that we don't like versus simply passive about its existence, but choosing my own individualism over anything else. Because individualism isn't going to get us as a nation anywhere that we need to be. We have to work together. And I'm not talking about some bullshit, reach across the aisle, bipartisan nonsense. I'm talking about regardless of your political affiliation, which says a lot about you, by the way, regardless of your personal beliefs, what's right is the thing we should all align on. And what's wrong is the thing we should all be anti to. We should all dispel. We should all refute. We should all actively work against. So while Harry and Meghan is a story about their own individual experience, the reason I feel like I aligned with their story as a whole and why I felt so comfortable covering them and making them part of my media existence is because one, I always root for the underdog if the underdog is right. And two... I just don't like bullies. I've never liked bullies. And I think bullies are the scum of the earth. And the royal family is a group of nasty, abusing bullies, allegedly. And so I'm happy to use whatever small platform I have to continue to speak out for those who are at the helm of bullying. Whether it's global, whether it's at school, whether it's in your office, whether it's your neighbor, you don't deserve to be bullied. Everyone in this world deserves to be able to exist. So that's all I've got for this episode. It's short and sweet. Future episodes will be longer, but I will link the description box, um, the article that I'll be speaking about in the description box in the event that you want to go read it yourself. But again, it's called There's Still So Much More to Meghan Markle's Story by Michelle Ruiz, um, published on December 8th, and it was in Vogue. I really appreciate everybody who has found this podcast, has signed up for this podcast and or subscribed to this podcast or my YouTube or anywhere else that you found me. I really appreciate it. Um, we are going to take a more critical eye to the things that are going on in this world, but mostly, um, you know, royal family matters, celebrity matters and current events. We will do one episode a week. Um, they will all be longer than this. But since this is the first one um, and there's so much content on my YouTube right now, I decided not to, to bombard you guys. So I really appreciate everyone who's supported not only my YouTube channel and my Patreon, but my podcast as well. I'm hoping to grow this podcast um, significantly this year. And I'm hoping to look at a lot more things critically and share that with you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week start to an amazing new year. And I hope this year you get everything you set out to get. I'll see you next time.